Hello, and welcome to Bankers.dev, episode number 120. Chris, do you know the areas of the world in which 120 volts is the standard voltage that comes out of the wall when you plug something into it? Well, the U.S. The U.S. for sure, yeah. Do you think it's just uh, the U.S.? We we like to do lots of weird things. We sure do. Uh, so I wouldn't You're be surprised on the right track. if... I wouldn't be surprised if we're the only or or nearly only ones. I know Europe is two 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 forty, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Australia probably followed Europe. I don't know about any parts of Africa or Asia, though. So, yeah, not sure. That's that's a very reasonable guess. Yeah, it's USA, Canada, Central America, and then just like the northernmost tip of South America, and then everywhere else is most other places are two forty. And then there's some weird ones. Some of them are like 100 volts in, in some weird small countries. Huh. But Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Not, and, uh, not just that. The US is at 60 hertz and nearly everywhere else is at 50 hertz. Which ah, is that another didn't, fun That fact. didn't come up in my research. That's interesting. Yeah. And it seems like it's just sort of an arbitrary quirk that like you pick one and then it's really, really hard to change because then everything is standardized on what that is. And a consequence of this is of course like electronics are incompatible uh between the two places unless you intentionally build something that's compatible with multiple voltages and because the voltage is higher in other countries things like electric water kettles boil water faster in europe and like hair dryers dry hair faster in europe because they just they got more oomph to go along with them also if you plug a electric car into just a regular outlet in europe it's going to charge faster than if you plug it in in the US. So yeah, that's that's my fun fact about the number 120. How are you? How's hey, your yeah. life going? Uh, I'm doing all right. I haven't done much business stuff uh, this week. I, we, we were talking like, it sounded like you didn't really either. Uh, I did, it was Father's Day yesterday and uh, both of my kids went to see a movie without me, different movies. And uh, so, <laughs> so I stayed at home and did yard work. <laughs> that's that's what I did. That's what I wanted to do though. Uh, there's just like a sort of abandoned corner of our, our house not abandoned, neglected. And uh, it's never a priority because it's like back behind our, you know, like no one can see it. And uh, so I cleaned that up and it took me all day, basically like five hours, but it's done now. So I get to look at something nice instead of a pile of wood and a bunch of weeds. Love it. I have a philosophical question for you that came up on Mother's Day. When does a person become a father? (laughs) Am I a father? So, um, uh, different couples do this differently and uh if you do it wrong then your spouse will get very angry <laughs> so the correct answer is whatever your spouse thinks yes absolutely <laughs> i found on, on mother's day i found myself sort of mentally friendly like well that no, was sarah like we haven't had the baby yet sarah's not a mother yet uh and she was traveling at the time and uh tyler came over my brother and like came over to uh our house and was like oh let's go mother's day shopping and I, I had this loop of a thought of like, hold on, no, because technically Sarah's not a mother. But then hold on, wait. And I asked ChatGPT like, when is a person become a mother? And it gave me, it was like, well, it depends. It is a bunch of different definitions. And by like four of the five definitions that it gave, Sarah was a mother. And then I realized, hold on, why am I, why am I splitting hairs here? Like the point of Mother's Day is an opportunity to help a person in your life feel good. Like yeah. if, if that opportunity is available, the game is just take as many of those opportunities as you can i'm getting lost in the semantics but now that now that i'm in the context of this podcast i feel like we could like this is a safe space to be dealing with semantics what in your personal opinion is the is the line uh like when a person becomes a a mother or father 
So I will say that I think women feel it way sooner because they have the baby inside them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we like as as fathers, we are it feels less real until the baby comes out and you're like, Oh crap. Yes. <laughs> um, so that, that may be the difference. Um, I, I, I also think the, fe- the yeah. feelings I totally get, I'm looking for like a strict legalistic definition. Like what's the moment? It's, you can't, can't be legalistic with this. <laughs> it's it's like, <laughs> it's like how you feel, man. Uh, I, I gave you my definition, which is whatever the couple decides. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I, I have seen, I have seen a lot of uh, couples use the first mother's day at one when the woman is pregnant as like a celebration that they're pregnant like, like you know like um, yeah. i think that's a, a positive and, and healthy thing to do yes <laughs> that's the correct yeah. framing to be approaching this question from of like what's the what's the happy healthy way to just to talk? I'm, I'm looking for like real technical like like uh, one of the definitions shajibti gave me was like uh, biologically you could argue that the the moment at which uh, uh two organisms become parents is the moment of conception like when they have fertilized the egg that's okay they're, they're both parents um yeah, but are you a parent or are you the spouse of a pregnant person yeah 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 uh the definition that i think i've come to is it's the moment when you decide to take on the responsibilities of parenthood mm. so so some yeah. people with kids aren't even parents yet. <laughs> by by my definition, yeah. and I like I don't know that that's correct. <laughs> like, if someone wants a Father's Day card and you can make their day happy by giving them a Father's Day card, I think okay. In in any situation, uh, you you can do that. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing I've seen in, in certain groups I'm a part of is some people don't have kids or can't have kids, but they are father like or mother like figures to other kid people. Yeah, and yeah. They, and I think that's totally fine to recognize them on Father's Day and Mother's Day as well, because they're providing, you know, especially like, you know, in the, in the case of a father and mother who's died, like, you know, they can be very supportive in that role. Um, so I think that's totally valid, too. You yeah, don't have for to be sure. biological to be a father and mother figure. Adoptive parents in the same bucket. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think both of those are included in my definition of if someone has chosen to take on the responsibilities of fulfilling this role, then... Uh, you can. I'm, I'm reminded of there's this documentary that I just watched called uh, What is a Woman? That's uh, more of a conservative documentary that takes on this very sensitive topic of the, the transgender movement. And uh, I'm not going to talk about the content of it. I, I think it was a very interesting documentary, but I thought there was a very interesting question that uh, one of the researchers asked. So that the framing of the documentary is there's the host and he's going around to a bunch of different experts, doctors and, and uh, gender studies people and asking them a bunch of questions. I think with the framing of pointing out that their own philosophy is uh, internally inconsistent. But I thought one of the responses that one of the researchers gave was really good because the, the, the documentary is sort of trying to frame it as absurd that people within this mo- movement can't define what a woman is. Uh, and the response that the researcher gave was, well, what is a chair? Which is a great response, I think, because it like that's that's a big part of the complexity of this issue is we don't know what words mean. We use words to uh, not to say that, like, we should be totally nihilistic and, uh, you know, that, that everything is relative and you, you can't find meaning in words. But we use words for their utility and not they're strict definitions so the words father and mother have a meaning that's useful to us because we can attach labels to it of like okay 
you know, we're, we're at Six Flags and I'm trying to find this person's mother. Like, I'm not trying to split hairs about, well, is it my biological mother or the, right. are you asking for the woman who, my caretaker who uh, took me to this? Like, okay, calm down. Mother is what I'm looking for. Like, point to the person who I can give you to who, who is filling the role of mother as we all colloquially, under, colloquially understand it in this context. But yeah, when you try to split hairs, even with something as simple as a chair, like it's difficult to to have precise definitions of exactly what the boundary is of what makes something a chair or not a chair uh and brings us back to the the uh three classic hard problems of computer science naming things cash and validation and off by one error is that i messed up the jo- <laughs> i messed up the joke <laughs> to, uh, to make that <laughs> to make that the joke you'd have to just say the first two yes you still have the off by one error by by uh, yes Naming, naming things and off by one errors are the three classic problems of computer science. That's that's what I was trying to say. <laughs> or you say that there are two and then you also say cache and validation. Yes. Anyway, uh, yeah. Yeah, naming things are hard and it, not just not just in computer science. It's like, the, the yeah, uh, linguistics and, and meaning and it, it's a complicated topic. Yeah, yeah. I've heard the chair one before, which is great. It's like, uh, well, it has four legs and you can sit on it. Now, a table has four legs and you can sit on it. Okay, four legs, you can sit on it and it has a back. Well, a horse has four legs, you can sit on it and it has a back. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, that's the... <laughs> you just keep go further and further. Uh, what, also, there's what about stools a chair that, and there's stumps yeah. and bar stools only have a single leg. Yeah. And yeah, there's a, yep. a ton of edge cases. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, I was going to say something and now I totally forgot what I was going to say. So, yes, I, I, I think, yeah, when you become a mother is, is a similar... Uh, you know, concept. There's when you have a father or Father's Day, yeah, and uh, yeah. I find this sort of conversation very interesting because I feel like it helps me sharpen or at least narrow the the boundaries of the words that I use. I like to, I strive to be more precise in in the words that I'm using and how I speak and think. Yeah, I remember what I was going to say, which is, uh, have you heard that there's scientifically there's no such thing as a fish? I think what? that's correct. <laughs> I, I'm gonna have to look this up, but okay, yeah, I, th- I think that I think fish is the c- correct class. Like, like everything that's a fish is not a fish. Like, like, like certain fish are more related to other like mammals than they are to each other. Huh. And like in the tree of fish, there's no such thing as an actual fish. Something like that. Yeah, I'm, that's very interesting. I, I'm also reminded of the uh, study the army did. They were trying to make a cockpit, I think, for the average soldier mm. or the average pilot. And they measured a bunch of people and everything, and they could not find an average person. <laughs> like, you know, if you're the same height, then you have different arm span, or you have different wrist size, or different feet, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, there, yeah. there was no such. They could not find an average per, uh, average pilot out of like you know however many thousand of people they measured, huh. um, in in all the aspects that they were measuring. So, I think the same. I, I think that is, is a perfect uh, example of why human like humanity is hard. Why these questions are debated and and difficult. I'm reminded of. Oh, in in uh, college English rhetoric, there was a unit that we took that was about this sort of semantic thing, and and they gave us a, a handout that was how the the categories of animals as they were defined in China in some ancient dynasty, and so uh, it was in the context of like okay, here here's our current understanding of putting animals in categories. You can get kingdom, kingdom, phylum, class, word, family, genus, species, and subcategories, and the the deeper down you go, the closely, uh, more closely related animals are. And so within that context, they showed us okay, these these were once the categories of animals, and it was like uh, animals you can ride, 
animals belonging to the emperor. Um, <laughs> like, uh, animals you can eat. <laughs> like, like uh, it was mutually overlapping and yep. and not like much more. Uh, the the categories were were designed to be, I think, most useful within the culture that they were used in which i think the lesson was that's what all the categories are we're currently using kingdom final class or family duty species because that's currently the most useful way to yep. differentiate uh what all the animal classes are fish when we use the word fish like that <laughs> I, this is news to me but the, i guess that's not technically accurate and in, in, or, or uh internally consistent in the way that we're categorizing animals but yeah the that's useful enough and has been useful enough that like <laughs> if people know what you say what do you mean fish and when you go to mcdonald's and you, and you utter the syllables fish and you get the the fish sandwich that's that's good enough that's close enough with yeah. uh, language has, has served its purpose uh yeah i, I could talk about I'm this not, with you for another two hours i know another similar one which i just thought of which yeah we can keep going on examples um different countries have or different languages have different words for and different categories of words for colors mm. um so uh, there's lots of examples, but one of one of my favorites is in certain countries uh, or certain languages, blue and green are the same word. You have like mm. blue and light blue, which is green. And you're like, those are two different colors. How can you possibly call them different? Um, but we do the same thing. We have red and pink. And yeah. Pink is just light red. Why don't we call it light red? Yeah. Uh, also yellow and orange. We don't say dark yellow yeah. or light right. orange. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and there's some even uh, crazier examples like um, certain certain languages only have like four words for colors or like like very limited. Um, yeah, lots of but but like with modifiers. Yeah. So, yeah What's of, wild to me is in cultures without words for colors, those colors just don't exist. Yeah, that blew my mind. But like, yeah, that that totally makes sense. And you, I, I was talking to someone about this the other day and they, and they were like, what do you mean people don't have a word for blue? They look up the sky and it's blue. But you look at the sky and it's not really blue. It's, it's, yeah. it's, first of all, it's the infinite number of shades of no matter what sky you're looking at. And then also, it's much more white than it is blue. It's got a blue tinge to it. But I, I think I have this idea supplanted in me just by the culture that I grew up in of like, okay, you got the Crayola colors and now we need to color the sky. You use the blue color for the sky. Yeah. Oh, do, 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 color it blue. Yeah. And, yeah, I could totally see how if I was living in a world that didn't label that color, that color wouldn't exist to me. I, I wouldn't yeah. see it. Yeah. And I, I think that's what it was. Yeah. Uh, it was they have a word for green, but not for blue. Yeah. Because mm. blue appears almost nowhere, sometimes in the sky, sometimes in water. But most of the water is actually kind of greeny anyway. Yeah. And then there's lots of green in nature. And so, yeah, that's that's why they had words for green, but not blue. Yeah. You could argue blueberries also, but then if blueberries are close enough they, to they just a grow dark there, yeah. color, then oh well, yeah, also, if it doesn't, if it doesn't blueberries grow there, are mostly yeah. North American, yeah, yeah, then you're not going to say it. Yeah, yeah. What colors exist that we don't have names for, and so we we can't see them? What a what a fun line of thought. Uh, okay, anyway. let's go. Let's let's pull it back a little bit. Um, all right, all right. Can you tell me about your uh, climbing weight loss adventure? Oh any, yeah, any I told you. There? So I lost I lost some weight. I'm on track three and a half pounds. In the last week, which I told you I was going to level out to. Um, and I will hopefully continue that until I get closer to my weight where it will naturally plateau, I think. So cool. that's the plan. Um, I also told you I bought climbing shoes. Um, I've used them, of course, when I go to gyms and stuff. But I, since I have a wall at home now, I bought some. Uh, and you asked me which kind. I don't know because I bought. I went to REI and they have these return customer returns sometimes. Yeah. And uh, this one was like, 
he he bought the wrong size, so it split and he super glued it together. So it was like <laughs> really cheap. Okay. <laughs> it was like it was like forty bucks instead of like one hundred and fifty bucks. All right. And so yeah. I was like, this is my first pair of shoes. I sh- I could buy the cheap ones. Um, and it was like it was what I was looking for too. So if you don't know about climbing shoes, there's lots of kinds. I wanted a flat bottom, not an arched bottom. Mm-hmm. These are more comfortable. They're it's like a beginner shoe, and they're more comfortable mm-hmm. for beginners. Um, and it fit me perfectly. And uh. It was like pre broken in, which is great because climbing shoes can be really tight when you first get them. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, that's what I went with, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Wonderful. I'm excited for you to continue your climbing journey. The the industry lingo I think is aggressive, so you have less yeah. aggressive shoes, and then more aggressive would be more like hook shaped and have a yeah. uh, uh, harder, sharper angle to really just get your, a little point of a toe in there and be able to support your whole body weight so yeah yep. that's cool how often do you find yourself going to gyms versus climbing in your own gym so, not many because it's like 25 minutes away mm-hmm. yeah so i've been using my home wall uh, at least every day so it's currently serving its purpose i i can do like one move and then run out of space so yeah. <laughs> i've been going in circles on it like yeah, I go yeah. up and then over and then down and you know i do that but it's getting kind of boring so i need to build the next stage so i've been planning how to build the next stage which will be you know to under underhang or overhang which i think mean the same thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah um and will be much harder and be you know will be much like 10 feet instead of eight feet so yeah cool that's plan love it what a great way to do exercise in a way that's engaging that's accessible it's just right down there yeah i like it cool uh how's how's the rest of your life holistically any other projects AI stuff yeah, or not, master stuff? Or... Not much. I sort of chilled. I, I tried to do a Kaggle competition. I, I looked at the open ones. I'm not super enamored with any of them. And I could s- probably force my way into being interested in a couple of them. But I could also just relax and wait for new ones to come out. Um, new ones come out like every couple of weeks. And so um, and there's a few ending soon, which means there's probably going to be a few more starting soon. So I may do that. I may also try. I got the Contrails data downloaded finally it's 450 gigabytes it wow. stopped twice and so i had to restart it it finally worked it, it took like all day to download and then i had to unzip it which took like half an hour <laughs> to unzip this, <laughs> this giant thing um so i finally have all the data so maybe i'll look at that one um but yeah other than that yard work climbing okay not much no. cool yeah and my job yeah so normal work stuff i've said this before but i'm uh selfishly invested in you doing the contrails one i contrails are, are very interesting yeah. to me i actually uh we talked about this a little bit before but yeah. my uh, uh there's a segment of my family that i think is more uh conspiratorially minded of thinking that there might be ah uh, what am i trying to say like if there's a narrative that the government or the media is tricking us, there are members of my family that find that sort of argument at a baseline more appealing. And we talked about this before, but if listeners don't know, there is a conspiracy theory, as far as I can tell, it is a conspiracy theory, that there's a thing called chemtrails, where planes will dump aluminum into the atmosphere. Uh, aluminum's even strong. Uh, but planes are dumping some sort of chemical into the atmosphere that is having some sort of climate engineering thing and they're doing this secretly and it's a secret government program and they shouldn't be doing it because it's bad but they're doing it anyway for some sort of short-term secret gain and 
this became a topic in our family group chat a little while ago. And I, a documentary was posted that like went all into this and I watched the entire documentary and it was fascinating. And I replied in it saying like, I don't find this very credible. And I was asked why I didn't find it credible. And then I'm sucked in and I wrote a little essay about like specific points in the video that I didn't agree with. And, and I did it the whole time knowing like this, there's no, this is pointless. Why am I doing this? But I found it, I found it interesting yeah. and. I know a lot more about the the chemtrail theory now, which, like, I, I could sort of justify it within that, and I I was entertained in it, and I was very surprised to see, at the end of that, that members of my family that had previously that that had posted the documentary, said that they were very convinced by my argument, and they totally and it sounded like they they flipped their opinion, which was incredibly unexpected, but, uh yeah, I, I was surprised by that. Yeah, I was gonna say even. It- even if you really disagree with something and it's easy to just be like, I won't say anything. It is, it can be important, especially when it comes to family to like voice your opinion, uh, especially if you think you're correct, which is what they're doing too. But you know, that's, that's why we get into debates and arguments and stuff. Um, but do it in a very kind way. So your response was, I don't find this argument very credible, not you're stupid for believing this. Right. It's a very different, um, thing to say. And so, um, yeah, I, that sounds like a healthy, you know, uh, thing that happened and uh yeah i, I will also say um uh, chemtrails are not a thing but correct uh, the u.s as far government as I can tell, has, yeah. the u.s government has done things like um they essentially i think pepper sprayed an entire town uh oh. by dump by dumping stuff out of a plane this was like in the 50s like when they're testing like uh you know chemical weapons yeah um they've also done similar things with certain pesticides and drugs i think i it they, yeah they, the, the U.S. government has a checkered past of doing crazy things to its own citizens. Yes. Uh, so, so you can go look. Th- those are, you know, unclassified documents that that actually came from the government. Um, so every, every conspiracy theory has a hint of truth, which is probably why, you know, they, you know, they that, that's probably why things, you know, uh, theories like that uh, come up. Because yes. Crazy things have happened. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I appreciate that there are people thinking along these lines because I think that's how you discover you know, actual conspiracies have been a thing. There, uh, the the Tuskegee sure. uh, trials Tuskegee, yeah. is a, a yep. great example of that. I think people just researchers gave a population syphilis, and then yes. were experimenting on them basically just to see, like, let's see how terrible the death is when you have syphilis. Yeah, and, and refused to treat them, or said they yeah, were treating them, and then yeah. didn't actually treat them. Yeah, a treatment that, came out for it, and they didn't tell the participants of the study. Yeah, yeah that is, that's so like things like part, that have happened. Um, yep. Yeah, there's, yeah, for sure, bad things that have happened. So yes. another thing yeah. that has happened in the category of chemtrails is you can seed clouds. This is something that do routinely in Dubai by dumping silver, some some silver composite in it, and then that creates these crystals that then uh, can can uh, precipitate rain. And until very recently no one was even sure if it actually worked because it it only increases the chance of it raining by like four percent or something and it's just really and it's also incredibly expensive uh but it's much less expensive than paying for irrigation so like there were a number of years where people were doing this and not quite knowing if it was working and it was costing a whole bunch of money but i think the consensus now is is that it actually works yeah Uh, i I think they also did that in beijing before the olympics so that it rained before the olympics and during interesting i believe i remember that yeah this is how conspiracy theories get started, though, because maybe that maybe I just read that on some crazy website. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
So go look that up. If that sounds right. That sounds credible. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Let's, make, let's make a documentary about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, cool. I have a few things I want to talk with you about. I have a project update on File Inbox. I have a question I want to ask you at a higher level of how to be... Hmm. What am I actually asking? We'll get to that when I get to it. There's, there's a All question right. I want to ask you, and I'm not sure what the question is yet. I have an update on uh, being a father. I did a deep dive into a bunch of baby gear and I just, I want to talk to you about it. And then I have a quick update on my weight loss journey. So from the time I right like seconds before this podcast, it was probably a bad idea to push it. Then I pushed the Google drive integration backend code and actually, no, it was a fine idea to do that because it's all serverless. So those functions are independent of all the other functions. Oh, I love this architecture. Yeah, no, it, it's fine. I haven't pushed the front end yet. Um, final production testing still needs to happen, but I'm pretty sure that's done. And it's done a mere 28 days after I scheduled when I yeah. what I thought it would take. I thought it, I budgeted two days to finish this and it took 28 days. Part of that I talked about last time was this trip that I took and I was assuming I would be just as productive on the trip uh, as when I'm here and that wasn't true. Part of it was it was a lot more complicated than I thought. Part of it was I dug into it much deeper to do it the correct way so that now the third integration is going to be much easier. I, I just like to find a single file and I have the standard interface. And so I'm, I'm happy with the work and I'm, uh, I don't even, I don't think I can say that I'm unhappy. I'm, I'm, uh, I feel slight discomfort at the mismatch between my expectation of how long I thought it would take and how long it actually took. And I'm going to go forward with, I think your recommendation last time was like, finish the Google Drive integration. Integrations are, are uh, classically difficult to do. Uh, probably everything else on the to-do list is going to be much more tractable and simpler to, to get done. So finish this and then just bump everything forward and don't don't like, you know, I, I, I don't multiply everything on the to-do list by a factor of 14 uh finish this and then and then keep going so that's what i'm going to do um so the update is that's probably done now it'll be wrapped up today and it feels good to have done it the right way and i'm excited to get to things on my to-do list that uh hopefully are not as big of a bottomless pit of complexity yeah yeah uh, i still think that's a good recommendation great that you got it done and uh yeah now you can go forward and Use it as one data point in your uh, estimation of things. Yes. Cool. I'll, I'll be a better project estimator, estimator, project manager. Okay, here's the question that I'm not even sure what the question is that I'm trying to ask you. I feel... Um, when I'm feeling positive about it, I feel like excited that there's so much work that I can do. And when I'm feeling negative about it, I feel overwhelmed. That like file inbox has these two big segments of work that i can be doing the first the first category is work owned by the emperor now the first category is uh, uh <laughs> things that asia has told me to do which it is so uh, straightforward that like when when there's something that she's told me to do in the in the whole context of my life, it's very clear, okay, this is the most important work I can be doing. Asia's saying that she needs this number or this report. I, I know how to do that. Let me do it really quick and, and then that's done. And I've struggled in that. I, I don't have her final report yet of like, this is 
this is what your timeline of work should look like. I know that doing more uh, customer interviews is important. So that's a, a majority of what I have my assistant helping me do right now. And anytime one of those comes up, uh, that has my full attention. But I don't have from her like this is what this is what to do if you're not doing customer interviews. Uh, I think I think what that process is going to look like. She said after I do about five interviews, I think I've done four so far. So later this week is is uh, the last scheduled meeting that we have. Um, I think this is the time to stop and reflect and like analyze the data that I got from the surveys and look at the data from the interviews and then use that to define okay, the obvious next step, the obvious next experiment is to make this pricing change and see what happens or to, you know, make this onboarding change and see what happens. But I'm, I'm not quite there yet. So that's, that's the that's the first category of work that I could be doing for File Inbox. The second category of work that I could be doing for File Inbox is working on this serverless transition that's been haunting me since we started this podcast, but it's going to get done. Uh, well, <laughs> got, a, got a big old chunk of it done now. And if I'm looking at the, I've got the printout of the list here. I haven't bumped the dates forward yet, but I think I have uh, two months left, which is exactly the amount of time I thought I had when I started the Google Drive thing about a month ago. But now uh -huh. there, now there's more, more certainly two months left. Um, so I know that I can be doing that. That's all file inbox. That's one. That's one category of work that I could be doing. The second category of work that I could be doing is stuff with repurpose engine. I just discovered a new competitor to this yesterday. Uh, I actually found out about it from a tweet from Aaron Francis, and I felt this little pang of like, oh my God, you you traitor. Like, you know, I'm working on a project in this, and now you're tweeting about this other project. And that's not, no, that's not, that's not the case. I, <laughs> there are lots of people working on this, and my goal is to help, first of all, like to build a tool that I'm going to use myself, which I haven't, I haven't gotten to that yet. I haven't gotten to a place where, right. I've built a thing that we're actually using for this podcast, which is the the original reason that I'm that I that I was interested in this problem. And I think that's the thing to race towards. Like I want a really simple, clarified, I want a I want a box that I can paste in a uh, link to one of our YouTube videos and it spits out stuff that we can be uh, uh, repurposed media, whether that's stuff to put on TikTok or tweets or or anything else. I so like I haven't yet sat down to to make a timeline of that of what that would take or, or like really clearly develop that picture. I've gotten, I've gotten incrementally closer. I think I have as good of an idea as I've ever had, but, uh, there's, there's some thinking that needs to go into that of what, what exactly needs to happen. That's the second category of stuff that I could be working on. I've got, so that those are all, those are both like main projects. That's both things that I can justify working on, uh, in, in normal working hours, like when I'm setting aside time to do work. And then I have side projecty stuff. Uh, and there's two main categories of that. There's Attaboy. I think the next step forward with that is to start charging people for it. At, have a limit of like, you can only send whatever. 20 messages are free. And then after that, you have to either buy messages or subscribe to a plan. And then the second category of that free work is consulting. I'm, I'm categorizing consulting as nights and weekends for right now. Um, and I have a job lined up that I could be doing. And then a second job that I could do after I do a uh, another proposal. And then I have this bottomless pit of like, ah, but there's an infinite number of things that I could be working on. And there's all these side projects and like the world is this unlimited playground of all these possible things. That could be. So we're, we're shutting that up for now. I have these four things that I could be working on. And I feel like there's a lot of low hanging fruit of if I can just do it faster, it would be better. 
and that feels a little overwhelming. I think that's part of my motivation to see if I can be hiring a developer. If, if I could be working with someone in parallel and, and this isn't dependent on like my focus time, which is uh, limited and going to become much more limited when I have kids, I think from, from what I hear from people. How, uh, I, and I still don't know what I'm asking you. I think it's, I think it's like, uh, is, is there a better way that I could be prioritizing my time to be getting towards this goal of raising revenue faster yeah okay so i'm glad you ended with the goal because that's what i was going to ask you is you have these things and so far you have put together to-do lists for certain specific tasks mm -hmm. but it's important to step back and think about what you want to do first of all first of all i'll say this is totally uh normal feeling at, you know like to switch between you know being excited and being overwhelmed is is completely normal um if your goal is still to raise revenue the fastest, then what I'll do is categorize each of the buckets of things in terms of what the likelihood is that you think that the that thing can raise revenue the fastest. Um, off the top of my head, uh, Attaboy seems like a little bit of a distraction slash lottery ticket. Mm -hmm. Like if you hit it right and do all the things right, maybe you maybe you can you know it can run in the background and be awesome, but since you have no evidence of that yet, that feels like it should be lower on the list just because, yeah. Um, the stuff Asia is doing seems directly applicable to raising revenue. So I would focus on that, especially because she's engaged. So while she's engaged with you, like use all of, you know, your your ability to to extract information and, and figure out what to do. Mm -hmm. That's my take on that. The serverless transition, if you really are 28 days away or 20 days away or whatever, um, I know you will feel so good when you get that done. Um, it's going to feel you amazing. Just, yeah. You were just very depressed about the Google, how long Google Drive took. So maybe doing the next few things, if they are faster, then maybe you can ramp up your excitement a little more by getting some wins under your belt. Mm -hmm. So that's how I feel about that. Repurpose Engine, I think, is your long-term play, um, which is great. But I, even when you were describing it, it sounds like you have a ways to go before you know. Like, like it, You're even still in the thinking phase to figure out what you need to do before people pay you. So while I think that's a great long-term play, and I think you're feeling pressure because you see these competitors, that feels like something that you're going to invest years in, not months. Mm -hmm. So if I follow all that logic, for for me, not being you, I think I would ignore Attaboy for now. Mm -hmm. I would do whatever Asia says and maximize that while you have her on the in the that arrangement. And then I would try to get your serverless transition done. Um, in the background, you can do repurpose engine also, but I wouldn't put hard deadlines on anything right now because you're still in thinking mode. Mm -hmm. And when I'm in thinking mode, if you have hard deadlines for things, like like that doesn't feel good. Um, that's my general take on things. I don't know if that lines up with what you're going to do or what you feel like doing or, or if that was helpful at all. But there's a few yeah. things that you said that I think were very helpful. I think the I think the most helpful thing in that for me was framing repurpose engine as more of a long-term play. I think I've been framing it as well, this is a thing that I've been thinking about for two years. So yeah. I'm already late and <laughs> that feels bad. Uh, I was talking with one of the, uh, the, the other co-founder from Wave the other day and he said something that uh, along the lines of like, you know, oh, if you had launched this like three years ago, that would have been, uh, you know, you could have taken over the market, but now you're a little late. 
uh, you know, it's it's going to be much harder to do this. And his take on it was like, well, you know, just put something together and launch it and then have it doing something when you have the baby and then, uh, you know, see what happens from there as, a, as another small bet. But I like your reframing of that this is more of a long-term project because that, that is more how I feel about it. That, like the space is still changing so rapidly and it's like the water's frothy right now in terms of the the number of people coming in and the, the number of angles that people have on it. And I think probably the best strategy for me right now is to position myself in a way where I'm learning as much as I can. Uh, I'm, I'm like aware of all the different market developments and uh, like when when the solution becomes very straightforward and easy, then I strike of like, okay, and here's here's what I've learned from all the different people who are in the space. Here's the amalgamation of all the different pieces of this that I think solve the problem the best. Here's the thing. Um, framing it more like that, I think I feel less uh, pressure to to have done this already a week ago. So a, a common yeah. sentiment that was interesting in talking to people at Crafting Commerce with this category of tool was like, people seem to be waiting for the thing that's going to be the the one answer. People have tried a few tools in this, but they're broken and they don't really work. And uh, right now, if you go to the video to clipper.com, that's in that category of tool. Like if you go there and, and paste in a video, uh, I'm pretty sure it's, it's just broken. And I feel embarrassed about that. Uh, I think it'll get to a point and then like you can't actually export the clips or something. Um, so like the, th the, the strategy that I'd like to have with that category of problem is I wait until I have a simple thing that is an amalgamation of the things that I've picked up of, of everyone's different approach to this problem. And then I make the thing and I make the thing that once someone has used it once it works and they they feel the sigh of relief of like oh thank god i don't have to keep track of all these million tools like this is the one thing that's going to work that that solves all the problems the way that i want to solve them um okay framing it more like that feels good and i can do that incrementally i could do that like if if i can find this happy path of like okay this is the core thing that i know i can deliver on that uh is gonna help the most number of people and then and then I have a framework of being able to incrementally add other things on that that would help. Maybe what I want to do is just spend an hour like I think I just want to think about it for an hour and just think about what what might this look like if it's how, how might I consolidate all the ideas that I have connected to this and is that final tool a thing that I could reasonably publish and, and continue supporting uh, and charge for before October. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. That, that was the most helpful part of what you said. And then, yeah, for sure. It makes sense with this goal that anytime Asia gives me work to do that, that has the highest priority because filing boxes is a thing already making money. Asia is a person whose job is to figure out like is to solve this problem that I'm struggling with of, of how do you maximize growth? Um, so yeah, later this week I have, uh, my last scheduled call with her where I think she's going to lay out like these are the things you need to be doing in this order based on the data that we've we've collected and so I think that is going to be incredibly clarifying that's going to that's going to be the very clear path to this is how you maximize revenue and then interweaved with that 
finishing the serverless transition is very important, even though I can't quite justify it from a business perspective. Um, and between the two of those, like that's a that's a full time job. If I'm just focused on those two things, anytime Asia has work that I can be doing, do that. If I'm waiting for something in the category of work that Asia is giving me to do, I can't like if I'm waiting for survey results to come in or if I'm waiting for some data from some marketing thing to come through. Uh, what I can be doing is pushing forward the the serverless transition. Yeah. Okay. And then and then in the background of that, I want to be thinking about repurpose engine. That's a that's a long term play. And then Attaboy is a distraction, so let's put that on a shelf. And then uh, consulting is something I can be doing for just to, to make money. Okay, I feel like that's much more ordered. Yeah. There's two other things I thought of while you're just talking to, which is one is I, I recognize, I understand you feeling late to repurpose engine, but there's no category leader right now. And I, I think it, like in 10 years, people will still want to repurpose content. Mm -hmm. And so even if there is a market leader and they get what? 50% of the market, uh, say there's 10 million creators in the world that want to use this, there's still 5 million people who are looking for something. Yeah. New. So I, I don't think you're late at all. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, yeah, think about this multi, multi-year kind of project. Um, and then the other thing I thought of is put yourself, so this is kind of like the backwards plan idea, put yourself in October and what will you feel better having done? Uh, completed the serverless transition and gotten it out the door mm. or, you know, got repurpose engine to the point where you have three customers paying a hundred bucks and they're all asking for more things <laughs> and you know like it's almost more yeah. work for you to do that uh, rather than getting something done and finished that's very clarifying yeah file inbox for sure there's uh what one of the one of my primary motivations for doing the serverless transition is that the infrastructure is much more stable and solid and this last week i don't know what was going on but there there were a lot of server notifications I got that servers were crashing in File Inbox. And I've put so much work into the old infrastructure on Rails to make sure that like when a server crashes, the whole thing doesn't come down. I've got this multi-server architecture and redundant servers across different clouds and stuff, which is a pain to deal with. It's a whole bunch of DevOps. It's a whole bunch of like, you know, when the Heartbleed bug came out, I had to be the person to go in and log into the servers and like update Ubuntu and do it in this staggered thing so they're not all updating. Ah. Uh, so like if I could get to the point where that category of problem can't hurt me anymore <laughs> with a baby and like it's google's problem to scale this uh that would feel amazing that would be that would be just like this very calm stable like okay i know that i know that this category of thing can't happen and i know that like i have this stable scalable architecture and yeah that's that's where i would want to be and i would not want to be in the position where I have file inbox still on the old architecture and I have this new thing with customers who are asking me for more features. Yeah. Yeah. Repurpose engines, the long-term thing. I think the, the, yeah, like I, I didn't think of Apple as behind when they still hadn't released their VR headset. They, they take this position of like sitting back and watching things shake out and looking at the things Facebook and valve and everyone else was doing with their headsets and, taking the things that worked and doing their own special secret sauce in it. And now probably this, this has happened with several of their product categories in the past. Probably they're going to be set to just dominate the market. They're going to be set like they're, they're coming in with like, okay, uh, everyone we're done now. We've, we've, we've figured out what the best thing to have is. And it's this, here you go. Uh, and thinking about it, like we got my dad a VR headset for his birthday or father's day last year. And he only ever uses it 
when there's one of us there to help him set it up. And my mom doesn't use VR. And most people I know don't have VR headsets. And of the people I know who have VR headsets, like you have a, you have a, uh, Oculus, uh, or yeah. a Meta Quest, right? When's the last yeah. time you used yeah, it? Uh, yeah, Oculus 2 or something. Yeah, hard, hardly ever. Yeah, hardly ever. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's super cool. And I probably got my, you know, 300 bucks out of it. But, um, yeah, hardly ever. Yeah. I think Apple's poised to make a headset that you're going to be using every day. And they weren't late. They were exactly on time. <laughs> like, yeah. So that's that's how Apple is late, never late. It arrives exactly when it means to. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think Tim Cook uh, from internal memos, he, he uh, pushed it before some people internal at the company were ready. And the way that they're doing it, they're pushing out the higher end headset first, which is going to mean that you get an early adopter curve. It's it's just going to be weirdos like me who buy one <laughs> and then they'll they'll have the more consumer one. But yeah, I think that's how I want to be framing this. Um, repurpose engine is not late. It's it's right on time. Yeah. 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 Cool. Cool. I feel much better. Thank you. Right. It's especially clarifying to have this decision criteria of like, okay, the highest, highest, yeah. most important thing is anything Asia tells me to do. Second most important thing is file inbox serverless transition aiming to get that done and stable before october and then i guess consult everything else is great that. yeah every, everything else is like yeah, and consulting. And, yeah okay i think you'll if, if you approach consulting like i do though it's it's pretty clarifying like it's time boxed and it's you have to get it done because there's a client and that that was the kind of stuff i could work on at night no problem mm -hmm. like i didn't get distracted by youtube or whatever because it's like I have this thing. It's due tomorrow. I'm just gonna get it done. Yeah, and I could I could work that around my other things. So yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I feel yeah. a lot of gratitude towards my past self too that I've already in in drafting the proposal. I already thought through all the complicated parts of the project. So it's like the the proposal is my to do list. It's just I need to sit down and do it. And you know, with ChatGPT now, it's gonna be even simpler. I'm just gonna like I have the to do list and I ask ChatGPT, how do you do this stuff? And then it's gonna give me the code and I'm gonna test it. Yeah, that'll be super easy. Uh and then I also gave myself real cushy uh time boxed deadlines because it wasn't a huge priority for them. And I offered them three different tiers of uh you know small, medium, large. And the the only differentiating factor of the third tier was that it cost way more and it was what I felt like would be uh, like me working on this primarily, how, how quickly I could get it done. And they didn't go for that, which is fine. I, I primarily had that in there as just price anchoring. So they felt like they were getting a good deal. But what that's created for me is like they picked the second option with the deadline way further out. So I can just sort of like do to do. <laughs> just, uh, yeah. no, I, I feel like uh, doing a fun project now. Uh, yeah, I like having that category of thing in my life. If I could just have a constant stream of that sort of work, that'd be that'd be nice. Cool. Thank you. I feel less overwhelmed. I feel uh, that that was that was clarifying. Next thing of the the two more things I want to talk about. I got super into baby gear this last week, which <laughs> I knew I knew this was going to be a thing that yeah. I would really enjoy of being a parent, like just reading all the YouTube reviews and figuring out all the different systems. And oh, there's so much. <laughs> it's also really interesting that for a, a, a products for children. Uh, it, it's this it's this they need to be differentiated uh for the size of the child and there's there's products you can get that are like oh, i need to be talking about a specific thing like car seats there are car yeah. seats that are the best car seat for infants that only go up to something like 30 or 40 pounds and then there's car seats that are convertible 
where it's not the best car seat for an infant and it's not the best car seat for a toddler, but you can just have this one car seat and then flip it around when they become a toddler and they need a booster seat instead of a car seat. And now it's like, this is the one car seat that you need. So it's really and, interesting. And, go ahead. And I'll add pop into a, a pre-made frame for a stroller. Uh, don't, yes. don't sleep on the car seat to stroller conversion. Yeah. Yes. Oh, oh, <laughs> okay. We're going to go down a little rabbit hole. There's a, there's a car seat that I saw that has a stroller built into the car seat. It's the oh, wow. uh, Duna, uh, D-U-N-A. I, I think that's right. I, that, I think yeah, it's the Duna. That didn't exist when I had kids. It's real cool. We went to Nordstrom and we, we were playing with it and I was like, this is obviously the best car seat. How, how much better is this that like when you're trying to leave with your kid, instead of you park the car, you go to the trunk, you get the stroller, your child is crying in the car, you pop out the stroller, you put on the brakes, you open the door, and now you're at the kid, and now you take him out and you, and you put him uh, on the seat. Instead of that, you just get out and you immediately go to your child, and then you take it out, and then you're unfolding it from the from the car seat. So that that for a while was our top pick of stroller, but then ooh, the the seams started coming undone. Sarah was like, "Hold on, this stroller, this this car seat stroller combo is banned in Canada." Her family's in Canada. It's, it's like we're very realistic. We'll be taking this to Canada. They won't let you through the border with the stroller because it doesn't have an adjustable uh, angle. Like you can't you can't change the angle of how it's mounted uh, in the in the car, uh, and that's important. Sure. And also, in doing more research on this, it's very bad for kids to be in a car seat, uh, infants especially, for an extended period of time because they're at a more upright angle. They got real weak spines made of jelly. Uh, there's suffocation hazards of like if their if their head falls down and they can't lift it back up, kids can just suffocate in the car seat. That's a big problem. Uh, the the maximum amount of time per day that a, a infant is supposed to be in a car seat is like two hours. So if this is your stroller, that's a problem. Like you don't want to be taking kids for long walks in this and then also going on a drive because like this is this is bad for them to be in here. So that that was going to be the car seat that I got and then I scrapped that and was like no we're not going to do that so like oh my god this, there's <laughs> it was so much fun there's just this infinite rabbit hole of all the different possible ways that you can solve this problem there's there's different car seats that that go with different strollers and there's car seats that swivel that are in the in the car seat and uh then there's strollers that are convertible strollers with the bassinet and and also the the seat for bigger kids and then there's travel strollers and then there's heavier duty strollers and there's uh jogging strollers which are optimized for different things so like oh it was i love being in this new environment of like here's the landscape of all the different things and you don't know what you care about yet so just start exploring yeah i loved it <laughs> there, were, there were like two different nights i stayed up super late just like watching these youtube reviews of all these different comparisons of strollers and what i my, my consolidated research from all this is that the best thing to do is to get a uh cybex cloud q car seat which its core differentiating factor is that not while it's in the car, because th this would be unsafe, but after you take it out of the car, you can flip this lever in the back and fold it down almost perfectly flat. So now it's okay for kids to be in for an extended period of time. I think that's the best infant car seat. Because like when your child has fallen asleep in the car, I know that's that's like a primary way that, that parents are able to get yep. their kids to fall asleep. Uh, what you don't want to be doing is waking them up by taking them out of the car seat. Like you want to <laughs> you want to be <laughs> walking on eggshells, tiptoeing around Indiana Jones style, take him out of the car seat and then lay him down. But if you leave him down in a, in a traditional thing, that's not okay. They, they could suffocate and it's also bad for their spinal development. So you take it, you put it in the quiet room and then you lay it flat and then you walk slowly away and now they can keep sleeping. I think that's the best infant car seat. 
paired with the Baby Zen Yo-Yo 2 is a travel stroller that I think is the best travel stroller. And I watched a whole bunch of videos about all the different <laughs> travel strollers. I think this is the best one. It's it's one of the most compact. It for sure can fit in carry-on luggage, but I think is important because if you're gate checking your stroller, then they're throwing it around and now your stroller is going to break. So I like just having things. I'm, I'm, I'm categorically, I don't like checking luggage. I, I don't, I don't trust the system of checking luggage. Um, so it's super good for, for airline travel, which also makes it really good for just every day. You know, it, it folds into this small, tight, lightweight package. Uh, it's very easy to fold. It's not the easiest to fold, but it's, it's incredibly easy to fold. Uh, and then you take it and you don't even have to put it in the trunk. You just put it like in the, in the back of the car and it has adapters that perfectly fit with the Cybex cloud queue. Uh, and then once they, so, you know, for, for, as an infant stroller, instead of having a separate bassinet, you just have this stroller, you take the, the car seat that can lay perfectly flat, you plop it on. Okay. Now that's our solution for, uh, infant stroller. As soon as baby gets too big for the car seat, because this is an infant only car seat. I think it only goes up to, to 40 pounds or something. Now they go into the main body of the stroller and we need to get a new car seat. Uh, this is a, an infant only car seat. Uh, yeah, so that's that's my, I think that's the best solution in that category. And I think that's better than like a dedicated stroller, uh, which would have bigger wheels and, and slightly better shocks, but now it's just bigger and clunkier and bulkier. And now if, if we're traveling, we need to figure out some other travel stroller solution. This is just the stroller that we have that's going to last for several years uh and with the combination of this car seat that's it, it's it's the ideal solution uh any thoughts there on, on car seat or stroller uh stuff uh i don't think either of those things existed when i had kids so no no thoughts on those specific uh ones okay. um but but i will say like baby stuff is like a religion to a lot of people and so you got to be really careful who you talk to about <laughs> I'm, what i'm sure i just offended convert you i'm sure i just offended tons of people like how cybex right. is trash how, how exactly yeah. Yeah. um so yeah that's just a funny thing i guess but um and then the other oh, thing no, is you know who's gonna get mad at me if anyone has the duna because i was i was full in on the duna yeah. that convertible uh car seat that has mm -hmm. the stroller built in i was full in on it until i started reading more things about how like the the angle is unsafe and now you don't want that as the stroller but like if I had already bought that and I heard someone talking about that, I'd be mad because what what I would be hearing someone say is that I'm a bad parent for having the yep, stroller. That's why. And yeah. Yep. So I recognize very sensitive topic. Uh, I'm not calling you a bad I think there's you know pros and cons to all these things. There's trade-offs everywhere. If you have a Duna, uh, maybe just be mindful of the amount of time that your baby is in it if they're a newborn. Um, yeah. The other thing I, say, uh, I was going to say is you will be surprised at the things that annoy you after the fact. Like you can do all this research, but like, for example, if the if the car seat is slightly too wide and you have to park, you can't park your car in your garage in a way where you can get the door open enough to get it out yeah, without yeah. running into this thing behind you. Uh, that'll piss you off. It has nothing to do with the car seat necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> but it, uh, but yeah, stuff like that. Uh, what else happened to us? Uh, not that that happened to us. Uh, I think it did though. Um, oh. Uh, I would feel everything in a store before you buy it mm. because the other thing that happens is, especially with small hands, my wife has kind of small hands and it's very hard to push some of the latches and buttons mm. um, on some of the brands we found. So make sure you actually press every button and fold every latch and do everything before you buy something um, because you get a feel for like if it's going to hurt your hands mm. and stuff like that. Um, uh, oh, and then you said something about stroller wheel size. Uh, 
we had a stroller with smaller wheels, but there's this particularly large bump on one of the sidewalks right next to our house. Yeah. And every time we went over that, we were like, rawr, rawr, rawr. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, stuff like that, like things that are kind of minor, uh, but will really make you angry. Um, it, you can't really get around a lot of those things without actually buying the thing and trying it. But yeah. Yeah. Those, those, those are my tips. Yeah. I, I totally recognize that there's no perfect solution to this. There's, um, you know, there's going to be annoyances with any way that we go. It's, it's all about trade-offs and, at least in these two things, I feel pretty confident that I've made the optimal trade-offs for what my prediction of our future situation with the baby is going to be. So yeah, so far, so far, I feel pretty good. I feel pretty confident. Um, yeah. but the other thing I'll say yeah. is it's really easy to get really, really expensive baby things yes. that are often inferior. Yes. <laughs> so just be worried about that. Uh, it is it is usually true that the bottom of the barrel is not good. That's where one of the latches was a real problem. We bought like a just a cheap like sort of travel uh, car seat. Yes. And the latch was like so hard we to to open that my wife couldn't do it. We had to buy a new car seat. Like we she just couldn't do it with her fingers. Um, so don't get the cheapest thing. But often the most expensive thing is is also just a waste of money. So I'm yeah. I'm about to make more people mad. There's a brand called Nuna, which okay. as far as I can tell, is. Uh, like they make okay stuff and it's very expensive it's it's the brand that they're pushing at nordstrom uh it's it's the cart and they have the whole integrated system of like the car seat and the stroller and everything else and uh i don't think it's good i think it's just expensive it's not bad but uh, you know if, if you just go one step further like hold on your solution to this is that i have a separate bassinet or or that i take your car seat and put it on my stroller but babies aren't supposed to lay flat uh, that, that's just not a thing they're thinking about. Uh, it looks really nice. It's really nice materials, but yeah, that, that's not okay. Um, and then my my hack for all this stuff being incredibly expensive, the, the car seat that I just mentioned, the Cybex Cloud Q, retails for $450. We got it. That's much. It's too much. We got it on Facebook Marketplace for 70 bucks, and it's perfect. It, we, I, <laughs> I really enjoyed this part. I uh, took all the fabric off of it, which was a puzzle. And it was even more of a puzzle to put it back on, but I like washed it and washed it according to the instructions. You cold wash it and you air dry it. Uh, but now after doing that, I know all the ins and outs of, I know all the different pieces of the stroller. If I ever have to take part of it apart, I know exactly how that works. Um, and buying it used, you know, it's an infant car seat at maximum. If it's gone through one owner, it was only used for something like four or five months. Um, I think it goes up to eight months, actually. It was only used for a, a small number of months. I think, I think for baby gear in particular, this is a category of purchases that make a lot more sense than anything else to be purchasing secondhand because they have a very limited window of when they can be used. And I have a crazy thing that fits perfectly into that category, which we're I, I'm picking it up sometime this week called the snoo. Do you know what a snoo is? This might this no. is this is pretty new. <laughs> um, this is another thing in the in the category of baby gear that like uh. I, have it, <laughs> makes it especially convenient to be having kids at this time. The Snoo is a $1,800 smart bassinet that was made by All a... Right. Pe- yeah. <laughs> it was made by a pediatrician. Uh, and I haven't read the original papers, but the, the movement of it, something, something, it's supposed to like mimic the movement in the womb or something. And the idea, it's this is just a thing for newborns. So like maximum, you're going to get maybe six months use out of this. They have a rental program where you can rent it for like $150 a month uh, plus $100 a cleaning fee where they like deep clean it and steam it or something. But like if you buy one secondhand, it's 
30 or 40% of the total costs. Uh, I think we're going to be able to pick it up for $700. And then we still own it at the end of that. So I'm just going to sell it for $700 and we're effectively yeah. getting a free rental. And like, I don't know, we might buy a new mattress for it or something or make sure that, you know, I'll do the same sort of deep cleaning for it. But now this is like the premium product. I don't know if it's going to work. There was a study done on it that showed that uh, this also isn't a thing, I think, for the baby. I think this is the thing for the parents. I'm framing it as this, uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a digital robot uh, night nurse. Uh, one of the only studies I could pull up on this that showed that it's like scientifically validated that it that it does something that helps people showed that it uh, reduces the amount of that it reduces the incident of postpartum depression by over half and also uh, insomnia, uh, particularly in the in the mothers. Uh, it also reduces significantly. So if I can temporarily invest seven hundred dollars in this thing and then get my seven hundred dollars back <laughs> a few months later to have the opportunity to have much higher quality of life for Sarah and I, absolutely. Uh, and feels like a total hack to be doing this on Facebook Marketplace and, and like buying and selling it uh, uh, secondhand. So that's that's another thing that uh, I did a bunch. There, there's a few different categories of potential smart bassinets, but Snoo looks like the the best one for uh, what we're looking for. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. I was, a couple of thoughts. One is, yeah, so our kids had reflux, uh, which is not as bad as colic, but they still cry a lot at night because it hurts them when they lay down because mm-hmm. um, they it's basically heartburn. Um, and I would have paid ten grand to get them, you know, better. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, if anything, yeah, what, whatever you can do. Uh, and we thought we actually thought about getting a. Uh, act, there are these college programs where college students will sleep in your house and wake up with the baby. That's good. Uh, and it costs a lot of money. Sure. But I was like, I nearly thought we almost did that because like it was driving us insane. Um, anyway, uh, the other thing I'll say might worry you and I don't want to worry you unnecessarily. It might make some people angry. So I'm couching this in lots of things. But oh, no. uh, generally, uh, secondhand purchases for baby gear is great because like you said, it's only used for a little bit of time. Uh, most people want new things and that's why, you know, there's lots of used stuff on the market. Mm-hmm. Um, great. Uh, car seats, you have to be very careful because car seats that are in an accident should be recycled. Yes. If you buy a car seat that was in an accident unknowingly, it can have micro cracks. Yes. And that's why they want you to get rid of it. Um, so just trust whoever you buy it from is what I was saying yeah. for car seats specifically. Yeah. There's an element of trust in this. Uh, he seemed like a pretty good guy. Uh, we met him on father or the day before father's day and he was taking his kids to uh, the, the Crayola store near us. Um, and I also like stripped the car seat specifically looking for any sort of cracks or damage or anything else. Yeah. Uh, and didn't see any, but yeah, there's an, an element of trust in that. This like the, if the thing that I cared about above everything else was the like absolutely affirming that this was the safest possible thing, I would have bought it new. And uh, my decision criteria is not valuing the price of something at at zero. Uh, that's a that's part of the game. As I'm thinking about yeah. it, yeah. yeah. I think they also I, I think expire. It's I, I like car seats. Yeah, after, they do expire yeah. for, for the for the same reason because being in a like super hot car is going to stress plastic. Yeah. So after several years of just even just sitting in a hot car, um, will will make it weaker. Yep. So yeah, that's why they expire. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when we picked it up, it, it looked brand new. 
but yeah, that's a that's a thing I'm thinking about. Um, I, I think it was a reasonable choice for you to make in this, but I, I felt it necessary to put that out I as a public that, service. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's important. Um, I think if I could have found the stroller used no one has these listed on facebook marketplace uh the mm. the babies in yo-yo 2 is like which i think is a good sign because it's a very popular stroller and there's none of them on facebook marketplace i think that points to that people are buying this and then keeping it for all their kids yeah st- strollers are generally much longer lived than infant car seats because mm. like baby car seats yeah you, you get what a few months out of them six months maybe yep. and then you're done strollers convertible strollers especially last years yeah so yeah. yeah, for multiple kids too. People will keep those between kids when they won't for car seats because they expire. That's a with the accessories. I think it's going to be like four fifty, five hundred dollars. So uh, we have a baby shower coming up. So I have it listed nice. on the baby shower registry now, and uh, it's also on Amazon Prime. So you know, whenever we want to, we can just pull the trigger on that. But yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll try my luck with that first. Um, the last category of thing that I did research in is the bassinet slash crib. So the smart bassinet, the snoo. I should say what that does also. It, it is like monitoring the baby's heart rate and movement and uh, I think also temperature. It has an yeah, app that like first. tracks the sleep of your baby also, which that feels really cool. Yeah. Um, does, does it have an alarm for SIDS? It sounds like the type of thing it would have. Uh, it does have an alarm and I assume it's for SIDS. I'll, I need to read more about the uh like what what in particular it's doing. But uh, the, the high level thing that I think it's doing is when the baby's fussy, it tries to calm the baby down by moving it and it can play white noise and it can move in several different ways and it can vibrate and uh i think the promise of it is that it, it's sort of learning from your baby what your baby likes um and then if it's something that it can't solve by doing those things then you know you you obviously need to go and like change the diaper or, or feed the baby but uh that's exciting so that's that's going to be the bassinet for uh when we need it the most of you know when we're trying to get more sleep for the first three to six months transitioning off of that um the bassinet crib combo the classic thing to do is to get like a piece of furniture that uh has the the floor that can raise and lower and when it's up higher it's the bassinet you put the baby in and then as the baby is able to like <laughs> climb out and escape better uh you, you lower the floor and then that becomes the baby's bed and then transitioning out of that you get like a floor bed or something for a, a toddler um here's i think what we're gonna do there's this thing called a pack and play do you know what a pack and play mm-hmm. is yeah. Oh, yeah. One of the core pieces of baby gear. Everyone I know has one. I think that's just yeah. going to be the, the crib and bassinet. It has a bassinet insert. Um, I see no reason why a child would care that their bed can be packed up, uh, that it's like more of a temporary sort of bed setup. Seems perfectly functional to me. Um, and then if we're ever traveling somewhere or at our friend's house or something, we're, we'll be traveling with their bed. So that'll be a, a point of consistency that, uh, yeah, they won't. They won't be thrown off by like, you know, you have your travel bed and then you have your regular bed. Uh, same sort of philosophy with a stroller. Like the travel stroller will be the the main daily driver stroller. And those are currently the categories of things that uh, I've narrowed down of what for me and Sarah are the best ways, the best products that we can get that are solving the problems that I think we're going to have. Cool. Uh, I think the bassinet thing is a reasonable strategy with two caveats. Uh, one is that the bassinet for pack and play is it's usually like this weird fabric thing that's a little flimsy. Yes. So depending on the the one you get, it may be like using it all the time, 
might be either uncomfortable for the baby or or might like break or whatever because it's like these plastic clippy things. So that's the only thing I'd worry about there. It's the plastic clippy thing, um, but then you put the you put the regular floor of the pack and play on top of that. So it's uh, well, the regular floor of the pack and play is usually like a thin, tiny little piece of pl- fabric. Yes. it's not like a mattress unless yours comes with a mattress. Uh, mm-hmm. it's like it's a hard, thin thing, but I think that's important, especially for newborns that they don't have like a. It, it is, yeah. yeah. So for newborns, you need extra firm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, yeah, sounds fine. Okay. Um, and then uh, the the only other thing is this is an annoying thing that we found with pack and plays is if you leave them set up all the time when you want to travel somewhere, you have to break them down, pack them away, yes. and then travel with them instead of just grabbing a bag. And that might get on your nerves, but that's, that's I something that. else you'll learn. <laughs> to, to rephrase what you just said, an annoying thing about the pack and play is that you have to pack it up before you play with it. Yep. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that that type of work, I really, like I see it as little mini games in life of like, oh, let's, let's sure. see how fast I can pack up the pack and play now. Uh, it is pretty satisfying because you basically just pull one thing and it all collapses. Yeah, so yeah. really well bad. designed, really well built. My sister and brother-in-law had one also and uh, they they really like it. That's It's been brought to our house a few times for my nephew to, to sleep in. Yeah, I think it's a, I think that has just solved the problem really well and uh, so might as well use that for the, the main thing. One last thing that I wanted to talk about. I am down to 183 pounds this morning. I'm ahead of my weight loss goal by, I think, uh, two and a half or three weeks, which feels good. I don't recommend getting food poisoning to uh, <laughs> get ahead of your goals, but that was an effective <laughs> yeah. solution for me. And it's been interesting to see during the day how much my weight fluctuates. It seems to be about four or five pounds. So yeah. I've been trying to get like a low mark and a high mark for weight during the day and not just like the the single weigh-in. and I've, I feel like I have a better picture now of like, okay, well, if I weigh myself and I'm, you know, four pounds over where I'd like to be, that that might just be the the daily fluctuation, which feels cool. And I think that's it. Yeah, cool, good job, thank you. And uh, keep it going. Yeah, yeah. I was. It's crazy how much your weight can fluctuate, which you because you don't need that much food, but you drink a lot of water and you breathe. And, uh, so yeah, it can go crazy up and down. Also scales have like a two pound error. So like, yeah, it could just be off by two pounds. I've um, noticed that there's certain yeah. numbers that my scale seems to really like, like a hundred and it was like a hundred and, uh, 186.2 or something it really liked. And I'm, I haven't done this yet, but I'm wondering if it's actually measuring in kilograms and then it's measuring in like whole kilograms and then converting to pounds. That. Like the whole thing with how uh, maybe it's- the Apple weather app wasn't showing 69 degrees and people thought like, ah, Apple's censoring 69 degrees, but it's actually like- it, It'll just convert it. Yeah, yeah. And you can't get 69 degrees converted from a whole number of uh, uh, Celsius degrees. Yeah. Uh, that, that sounds very plausible. My thought is maybe it's like 8-bit binary or something and you can't get a decimal to be certain things uh, with 8-bit yeah, binary. Yeah, yeah. That was my thought, but kil- kilograms to pounds sounds more plausible. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, I, I don't like yeah, that. Weird things. Like, I don't know what a better solution would be, but if you only have the, two significant figures, old school, don't stop showing me the decimal place if, if you don't know what the tenth of a pound, yeah. be, if you're not that accurate. The old school analog ones is the solution to that, you know, where the ones where you actually move weights. Yeah, yeah. And you can, because analog, so you get infinite precision, but. Infinite precision, but it's much harder to read. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I just need a better scale. It can also, our scale, so we have a tile floor. Mm-hmm. And uh, the tiles are not quite the same height. And when you move the scale from one tile to another, it shifts by a pound or two. <sighs> it's, it's like, yeah, really annoying. I don't know what a better solution to that is. There's a, uh, 
luggage weighing device that I have that I think goes up to 100 pounds. That's going to be how we weigh the baby. I'm wondering if hanging weight would be more accurate. I don't know why that would be more accurate, though. Maybe like you can get more accurate scales. They're just really expensive. So, you know, if you're spending 50 bucks on a bathroom scale, it's not going to be very accurate. Yeah, yeah. I I think I don't care. I think as long as as long as the number is going down. That's fine. Take the average over a week and yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just looking for the the trend line. I had the same thought when I was trying to measure my body fat percentage and there's this really complicated formula to go from the measurement that you get from skinfold calipers to what your body fat percentage is. And I got real in the weeds with that for a while of like, okay, to have the most accurate total body fat percentage estimate, I need to be taking these four different skinfold caliper measurements of like one of my stomach and one of the back of my arm. And then, okay, here's the complicated formula to go from those measurements to what my actual body fat percentage is. And then I realized, hold on, I don't really care what the total body fat percentage is. Like that's interesting to compare myself to the population. But what I'm really after here is just, I would like lower body fat. So what I can just do right. is look at, the the one skinfold uh caliper measurement that is the easiest to get on my stomach and then just write that number down and then if that number is going down my body fat percentage is going down <laughs> i don't know exactly yeah. what it is but it's going in the right direction so that's fine yeah yeah the the simpler thing i think in that case is better i'm i'm not i'm not aiming for like highest accuracy i'm just trying to move yeah yeah exactly yeah cool chris that's all i got That's all I got. Then I will see you next week. Goodbye.